Today we're going to finish the last six chapters of the Gospel of John. And then your reading for today is Acts chapter 1. I want to encourage everyone here, if you have not started uh, reading the Word with us, jump in today. Acts chapter 1. Don't worry about John. We're moving on. Jump in. If you haven't read uh, the last few chapters of John, that's okay. Let it go. We're going to get there next year. Start with Acts chapter 1 with us and do it with the body and do it with our 222 groups, our different uh, small groups, different ministry. Today, I, I may have such a hard time because there's that part of me that I want to talk about just John chapter 20. I just want to go verse by verse and, and show you how to have a, a spiritual time in the Word of God. But then I'm, I think I'm going to go ahead and do John 16 through 21. John chapter 16, before we pray, I think we're going to talk a little bit about persecution and the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. John chapter 17, we're going to take about five minutes to talk about what oneness is. John chapter 18, we're going to talk about how religion kills spirituality. John chapter 19 today, if we, if we get to, I'm going to really try to move through this to encourage you. In uh, John chapter 19, we're going to talk about the uh, crucifixion of Christ and the seven things that Jesus said on the cross. John chapter 20, we're going to talk about the resurrection, how wonderful that is. And if we get time, we're going to talk about John 21 where Peter is reinstated. Because if John chapter 20 finished, which, which is kind of is the end of the gospel part, but the, because of the love of the Savior and the love of his dear friend John, he writes John 21, which reinstates Peter, which makes sense because Peter is all over the first nine chapters of the book of Acts. Okay? So we have a lot to cover today. Are we ready to do that? All right. Well, joining us with the person next to you, let's pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to to open our eyes and illuminate his word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come. You are the teacher. And I, I um, ask that you just flood through me and, and that, that, God, I can just get out of the way and your spirit could just flow through me to administer your word, to bring your word alive in us because your word combined with the spirit is what changes lives and changes hearts and what changes our world. So we love you. Please let there be a great anointing of your word today. In the mighty, precious name of Jesus, amen. In John chapter 20, in uh, verse 30 and 31, this is the passage I want you to see. This is why John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, what do you think about that phrase? You you see that several times in the gospel, the the disciple whom Jesus loved. Do you know what that means? It doesn't mean there's a special relationship between him and Jesus. It means he understands the relationship between him and Jesus. Let me say that again because, because I, want to, I want to get to a point here. It doesn't mean there's a special relationship between him and Jesus that Jesus can't have with any of us. It means that he understood that relationship. So I can say, Dennis is speaking today, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's not arrogant. That's not egotistical. That's reality. I am a disciple whom Jesus loves. So John says at the end of chapter 20, this is why he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the gospel. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Why, Jesus? Why did you write these? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Stop. Look at that. How is your belief through this gospel? Has it grown? How is your faith? Has it grown? Have you looked and dug in there and said, wow, that's really neat. That's really cool stuff. Wow. And your faith has grown. He wrote these so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that by believing, 
You may have zoe. Remember that Greek word zoe? You may have life, eternal life that begins now, the life of God that the Spirit of God brings into your heart, that you, by believing, may have life in his name. That's why he wrote that. So as we start in John chapter 16, let's let our belief level, let's let our faith level just grow. All right, he starts in John chapter 16. Jesus, we talk about him being in the upper room. Actually, the last verse of John chapter 14 says, he said, come and let's go. So some people say he's, he's walking towards Gethsemane, these last few chapters, 15, 16, and 17, talking about what, what is to come. And he starts off with a very intimate time with his disciples. And he says to them, hey, guys, I want you to know you're going to be persecuted. You're going to, because he said, I'm God, and they persecuted me. And that they did this to me, those who are my followers, who claim to be my disciples, they're going to persecute you. And he said, they don't understand. But that's going to happen. And then he switches and he says, now let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit is going to come. And you need to be happy about that because I'm leaving. Now their heart is broken. You just said, I'm going to be persecuted. And now you're telling me you're going to leave. And you're telling me I need to be happy about that. And he said, yeah, because, you see, if I don't leave, I can't pour out the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit needs to come because there's three things the Holy Spirit is going to do in this world. As you read in John 16, what's the three things? He's going to convict the world, number one, of sin, right? That's what he does. Number two, of righteousness. Number three, he says the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of judgment. So let's talk about those. The Holy Spirit, when he comes and he's here, and he's doing this, by the way, he's doing this in our life. He's doing this in our world. Remember, Jesus said, no one can come to the Father but through me. And then he said, no one can be drawn to me but by the Spirit. Well, why? The Spirit is doing these things. What's he doing? Number one, he's convicting the world of sin. And he says, because they don't believe. The Spirit is moving around this globe today, convicting people that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And that you can have salvation through Him. And He's moving in people's hearts, drawing Him in. Second thing, He's convicting the world of righteousness. What's that mean? He's saying that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, He's going to show you that you can have the righteousness of God by being in Christ. And then He says the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of judgment. What's that mean? I mean, when you guys read through John 16, are you asking yourself these questions? That's kind of why I want to walk through this, because I want you to see as you read. Don't just read. Ask yourself questions. I mean, what does that mean? What does it mean that he's convicting the world of judgment? Well, it means this, that those who are in Christ have been judged to life, and those who are outside of Christ have been judged to death. And the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of that. And then in the very last verse of John chapter 16, he says to his disciples, he said, Peace I leave unto you. You're going to be persecuted. The Holy Spirit is going to be moving, working, touching lives, changing hearts. Peace I leave to you. Now, why can he leave us peace? Because Jesus said, Peace I leave to you because I have overcome the world. Now, please understand, you haven't overcome the world. He overcame the world. Now watch this. It's important that you get this. Once again, I'm asking myself the question, what in the world does that mean? See, by virtue of me being in Christ, 
I have overcome the world because he overcame the world and I'm in him. Does that make sense to you? And he said, because of that, you can have peace. Then he goes into John chapter 17, this great prayer of John chapter 17. I love it. Jesus prays, first of all, for himself. Then he prays for his disciples that he's walking with. And then thirdly, he prays for you and I. Let's start about his, talk about his prayer for himself. He prays for himself. He says, God, those who have given me, they believe. And then verse 3, I love this. And he said, this is what eternal Zoe is. This is what eternal life is, that they believe in me, the Son of God. And then he says, and I love this. He says, now, Father, I'm ready to come home and put on the glory that I left when I came to earth. See, that's his yearning to be that, that oneness, to have that oneness and that connection back to the Father. He's saying, I'm ready. <laughs> He's about ready to go. He knows his time has come. He's about ready to go to Golgotha, go to the cross, and go through all the incredible pain and suffering he's going to endure. But he said, Father, I'm ready. I want, I want to be restored to that glory that I had when you and I were one. And then he prays for his disciples that's with him. He says, God, two or three things. He says, they believe. They believe in your word, and they believe who I am. He says, I ask that you protect them and that you work through them. And then he prays for you and I. And in verse 23 of chapter 17, I want to spend a little bit of time with this. He says this, I in them and them in me, may they be brought to complete unity so that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them even as you love me. Question, how does the believers become in complete unity. I don't know what your experience when you read that, but I kind of looked around through my last 40 years of walking with the Lord, and I haven't seen that. Let me share with you how all the believers in all denominations can become one in Christ Jesus from the Episcopal Catholic to the Southern Baptist Pentecostal, how we can become one in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, this will happen. Jesus prayed. When Jesus prayed, he prayed the will of God. And the Holy Spirit is working in this prayer to bring this about. Let me share with you how we can do that. Number one, we become one in Christ Jesus because it's centered around our fellowship with Christ. The church has been so concerned about teaching and doctrine that they missed spiritual encounter with Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. See, I can't be one with you because you and I believe about the same scripture and the same thoughts. But I can be one with you and you and I are both experiencing Jesus Christ and we love him because his love produces in us love for one another. So I can now differ with Bill and it's okay because he's experiencing Jesus Christ. Number two, I can become one with you because of our identity in Christ. Not only because we believe in the same thing about every issue. But because you and I are both in Christ, I can become one with you. Number three, I can become one with you because we're both going to heaven. You're stuck with me. We're going to heaven. Now think about this. Please understand, I'm not saying theology is not important. I study it. I love it. I I know the scriptures on why I believe once saved, always saved. And you know the scriptures on why you believe you can lose your salvation. That's wonderful. But you love Jesus with all your heart. Yes. Are you in Christ? Yes. Are you going to heaven with me? Yes. I love you. I 
love you, so let's keep talking. But not, out of, not with an unfriendly spirit, but with a loving spirit. Man, I can be around my brothers who speak in tongues all the time. You know, and they just do what they do. And I could be around my brothers over here and dispensationalist, that, that's, all, that's all gone. That left. Do you love Jesus? Are you having a personal spiritual experience with him? It's all your identity in him. Are you going to heaven? Speak in tongues all you like. I'm okay. Now, I may not want to be in the same local congregation. That's okay. Okay? Catholic priest. All the kind of things that they do and that kind of... Man, a lot of Catholic priests who just love Jesus. They love Jesus, but they do a lot of things that I don't understand. We were at a service, and they were throwing water at me. I don't know what that means, but okay. If it's something good, give it to me. I want more of it. But I look at that dear brother and say, do you love Jesus? Are you having spiritual encounters with Jesus Christ? Is your identity in Christ? Are you going to heaven with me? Then let's embrace. Now we can talk about all the issues we want. But Jesus says, I want my church to be one. I want them to be one. You and I can't be one if we're going to debate with the mean spirit issues. But we can be one if we surrender our life to Jesus Christ and love each other on the basis of that. Does that make sense? That's John chapter 17. And see, by the way, that's why we're a community church. A community church, by nature, says that people from all these different camps, they're welcome here. And we have this thread that that the elders and the pastors say, we're walking in this thread. This is how we're walking together. Okay? But you can come from all these different camps and be a part of us on the basis of your your love for Jesus and your, your identity and the fact that you're going to heaven and him and you're willing to let that love flow through us. So we go to John chapter 18. And this kind of all fits together. This is, this is where the, the, uh, the, the Pharisees, they're turning Jesus over to be persecuted. And let me say this to you. It was the religious leaders of the day that gave Jesus over to death. Are, are you aware of that? It wasn't the evil bad people. It was the people who had scriptures on their foreheads. It was the people who were devoted, who spent time in the Word. They knew the Torah. They knew the prophets. They spent time in that. Those are the people who missed it. See, religious entity will kill Christianity. Religion will kill spirituality. These men who knew the Torah, who knew the coming of the Christ... It says in Matthew, because of the envy in their hearts, they could not embrace the Messiah when he was right there in front of them. So let's talk about religion, may we? There's a difference between Christian culture and Christianity. See, this here is Christian culture. We have a little bit of smoke, we got a band, we got lights. Liturgy in an Episcopal church, that's Christian culture. Completely different. Those are flavors. Okay? And all those different flavors can lead you to Christ. But don't think your Christian culture is the same as Christianity. All right? 
Lifestyle is very important. Please understand this. If you want to experience the fullness of Jesus, you and I are called to live a holy lifestyle. But if your holy lifestyle comes to get God's favor, you missed it. But if your holy lifestyle comes because you're in Christ and you love him, holiness just comes from you. You you see what I'm saying? If you're trying to birth, you know, you, you can be, you're just going to grow a big nose and a long chin. You're going to be mean and angry if you try to be holy without knowing Christ. But if you're in that intimate connection with Jesus Christ, as Pastor Jacob talked about, about remaining in him in John 15, if those things are happening in your life, you are going to be holy and you won't even know it because you're going to be so connected to the person of Jesus Christ. See, service to God does not produce spirituality. Spirituality produces service. Does that make sense? See, correct theology is important. But correct theology, because you want to be right, you miss it. Theology that comes from knowing Christ intimately, and you study the Word and you come to convictions, that's a different, all different kind of thing. Versus standing, I'm standing there, I'm I'm going to die on this hill. Well, if that hill's not Jesus Christ, don't die on it because you missed it. The Pharisees missed it. John chapter 18, the Pharisees, and, and, the, and the Roman leaders are saying, I can't find anything wrong with him. And the Pharisees are saying, we would not have given him if there wasn't something wrong. And then they said, I, you guys persecute and say, we're not allowed to persecute him. Talk about passing the buck on you know, we can't crucify him, but crucify him. See, it was the religious leaders of the day. Oh, oh, please, 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 please. My religious entity almost killed my spirituality. And I've shared this story with you before, but I'll share it again. I thought Billy Graham was the Antichrist. Now, believe me, that was 35 years ago. <laughs> you know, because he didn't teach baptism the way I thought it should be taught. And then about five years later, about 30 years ago, I realized he was right and I was wrong. Have you ever gone through experiences like that when you realize, oh, duh, you know, that kind of thing? You know? See, my religion, the things I was taught as a child, okay, I just accepted. I just believed. And then I was shooting darts at people, making fun of people because they thought or did different practices than I did. God, forgive me. Forgive me for that. See, my religion brought a lot of death in my life. But knowing Jesus Christ and being intimately connected with him brings life to us. Are we okay? That's John 18, John chapter 19. Jesus is on the cross. Okay? And I just want to share with you um, seven things that he said on the cross that might help you. Okay? Three of them in the Gospel of John, four others in the other Gospels. He starts off and he says, Father... And, and I think you'll, you'll catch his heart by listening to these seven, his last seven statements on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, Father, for they, they don't know what they're doing. Wow. That's me. I can't tell you how he does I, I have no clue what I'm doing. And I walked down a rabbit trail that I said, why in the world am I going down that trail? I think I thought I shouldn't think. 
Pride comes up. Arrogance comes up. I'm saying, why in the world does that happen? God, forgive me. I don't know what I'm doing. Give me spiritual eyes so I can see the kingdom in spiritual ways. And that was his first prayer. He said, God, forgive me. Here were the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And he said, God, forgive them. Isn't that cool? The ones that's nailing his hands. And that goes through the generations to my heart. It goes to us, through the centuries. Forgive us. And then remember the thief on the cross? And the thief says, you know what? He's the one good one of the three. (laughs) He's the one righteous one. And he, he looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, would you remember me today? And Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. That is so cool. You know what? The Father wants everyone. I hear a lot of people say, well, that was a deathbed salvation. I don't know if that really counts. Of course it really counted. If that person's heart was tender towards the Lord and he submitted his life and his heart and he called out to Jesus. And you know what? I'm not envious that he got in at the last minute. I'm sorry that he didn't get to experience his whole life with the Messiah that I know. You know, that he lived his whole life in, or her whole life in ways that, that doesn't make sense with the gospel. I want everybody, I don't care if you, you find Lord, the Lord at the age of 10, at the age of 25, 50, or 90 on your deathbed. I just want everyone to find the love of Jesus Christ and submit to that love. And to hear his voice saying, you're going to be with me. That's good news. That's good news. And, and so, so he said, you're going to be with me. And then he, 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 something's happening. And all of a sudden he starts thinking about his mom. And he looks down at, at the disciple whom he loves, which is John, and me, and you. But specifically he looks at John and says, John, this is your mother. Isn't that tender? Isn't that well? He cares about families. He cares about children taking care of their parents and parents taking care of their children. Siblings caring for one another. He cares about that. And he says, Mother, this is your son. Isn't that beautiful? And then the fourth thing he says is now he's about ready, ready to get closer to his death. And he yells out, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, it was at that point he had all the sins of all the world of all time from the beginning to the very end that will ever be committed. He is now becoming fully, if you can imagine this, it's hard to imagine, but it's true. He is now becoming fully unholy. He is now becoming fully unrighteous. Okay? And because of that, the father had to look at him and turn his back on him. Now for, for once in all of eternity, they are now separated because the son had to pay the full price for everything. So Jesus cries out the brokenness. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Think he had to feel the full pain of being separated from God the Father. And then guess what his next phrase was? I'm thirsty. Now what have we discovered all through the gospel? Haven't we discovered Jesus saying, you're thirsty, woman. You're thirsty, man. See, Jesus, for the first time in all eternity, felt inward thirst because all meaning, all purpose, all significance was now gone in his life because he's now feeling the complete thirst of all humanity. And so he says, he yells out, I am thirsty. 
And then the next phrase, and this this one really, really, um, I don't know what to do with this one because, because this one just, it just breaks my heart when he says, he says, Father, it is now finished. Now, if you cannot see your sins upon the Son of God at that moment, when he says it is finished, then you missed the gospel message. See, your sins, all of my sins, were put upon him. And he paid that full price. And he yelled out, it is finished. Meaning, there's nothing else you can do. He's done it all. If you would just believe, if you would surrender and give your life to him, he is telling you it is finished. And then he yells out to the father. And and this is a beautiful thing. And I want to say this one day when I pass away, I want to say the last words out of my mouth or the last thoughts out of my mind. I want to say, father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Wow. That's John 19, John 20. Early in the morning on the third day. Um, the resurrection is happening. And there's a race. First of all, Mary goes. There, there, this is, I, I want to say so many things, but I want to move. For, there, there's a race. You know, uh, uh, Excuse me, Mary goes and realizes that it's not there. And the angels say, um, go tell the disciples, and then Jesus shows up. And, and, and what's really cool about this is she doesn't know it's Jesus until Jesus says her name. I think that's pretty neat. And then she runs and she says, Rabbi. And then he says, go back to the disciples. The disciples hear this news, but only two run. Nine are curious, two are running. See, there's a difference between, see, love runs. There's a difference between being curious and running towards him. See, we live in a world where a lot of people are curious about Christ. Or they're curious, even a lot of Christians are just curious about, I wonder what it would be like to really submit to his word. I wonder what it would be like to really surrender to him. See, that's curiosity. Love abandons. Love throws, him, throws yourself out. Love runs to him. And so they, so they, so they run to that. And I want to say a couple things here. All of our Christian faith is based upon this one reality, and that is this, that Jesus Christ arose from the dead. If if Jesus did not die, was not put in a tomb, and if he did not come back alive, then Christianity is not Christianity. There's there's several religions in the world. There's four Most of them are based upon philosophy, but there's four religions based upon a person. Judaism is based upon Abraham. Buddha is based upon Buddha. Islamic faith is based upon Muhammad. Christianity is based upon the life of Jesus. But there's only one religion of all these many, many religions that answers answers the, the question of what do we do about sin. And there's only one religion that says it's all based upon me dying and arising. No, no, I mean... Nothing else is out there. And this is what I want to say to you. The resurrection is absolutely true historically. Forget about the Bible for a minute. You do not have to have blind faith. And I'm going to show you that why in a minute. 
This is water. I'm convinced that I can drink this water and that this isn't poison. Two or three reasons. You may say that's blind faith. Well, first of all, someone at Elevation gave it to me, so I think they loved me and they gave me something that was healthy for me. Correct, Phil? Number two, is it, it's, it's a cool brand name, Purified Waters. Sounds good to me. Number three, the lid was sealed, and I unsealed it. I'm going to have blind faith and believe that this is water that's good for me. Now, people, what they don't understand when it comes to the resurrection, there is no blind faith. There's no blind faith at all to the resurrection. Number one, where's the body if he didn't resurrect? There's an empty tomb. Historically, that's a fact. Because if they could produce the body, the Jews would have produced the body. The Jews wanted the body to be there. The disciples would not have hidden the body because the disciples were all fled. They ran away. They thought he was dead. And the Romans sealed the tomb, and they didn't want another king. There was no reason to hide the body. Where's the body? Where's the tomb of Jesus with the body in it? Historically, you can read many documents outside the Bible. Historically, there is no body in the tomb. So where did that body go? Number two. Big reason number two. Fact. Theologians, scholars, and atheists acknowledge this fact. The people before... He died, fled, that after he claimed to resurrect, they were willing to die for him. So what was their experience that would change their heart to where now they were willing to die for him? As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says he appeared to over 500 people. And all of these people weren't around when he died on the cross. They were fearful all through the scriptures. All through John talks about for the fear of the Pharisees, for the fear of the Pharisees, for the fear of the Pharisees. They had the doors locked. But something happened empirically, historically, something happened that caused them to, to let go of fear, to embrace him and live unto death. What happened? Third thing, just, I mean, we can go on. I'm just going to share one last thing. Historically, because of that resurrection, a great movement of God started. No one questions that there's something that happened at that point that caused a movement that went throughout the whole world. And all the people in the movement, they claim it's because of his resurrection. Now, if, and you can study legends, and we can talk about how legends are formed, and that, kind of, that kind of thing. But I'm telling you that there is no such thing as a movement beginning that spread so wide. I would just so incredibly fast other than the reason that they said it moved so quickly. Does that make sense? It's not blind faith to believe in the resurrection. The resurrection truly happened. And when you abandon yourself to that, you can get excited because that's the good news is that your Lord, your Messiah, your Savior, your Yeshua, he rose from the grave. Now, let me say this, that I think it's an incredible thought. is that if you and I live with that resurrection every single day, that we know truly that we serve a God that's 100% 
resurrected from dead, it makes, it makes a difference and it will empower you and I. So that's John 20. And I got three minutes left of Jude, John 21. All right? The gospel ends at that point. He's written all these things so that you could believe, so that your faith could grow. John 21, you've got to remember Peter. Peter was a kind of, a, he was a leader. When John 21, we see the disciples out there fishing. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. And this is kind of cool, by the way. Have you, what do you guys think about those things, things about the doors are locked and he just appeared? If you, anybody pick that up? And you're reading, it's so cool. And then at different times he appeared and people didn't recognize him until he let himself be known. You know? And if you read in 1 Corinthians 15 about the, 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 our earthly bodies versus our resurrected body, it says that our earthly body is going to be like a seed and your resurrected body, your glorified body, is going to be as different from that seed as the tree is from that seed. That's why our glorified, and you see that in Jesus' life right there. That's why so many times they didn't see him because they saw him in his glorified state. It's like, whoa, and it wasn't until they heard the voice or he made himself known to them that they, see, they, they were able to say, yes, that's the Messiah. Okay? But here's, here's they're fishing, and they're out there on the boat. Jesus walks up to the shore, and they hear this voice. Catch anything? Isn't that the playfulness of God? He knows they haven't caught anything. I mean, he's just having a good time with them. Catch anything? No. Now, the boats were about seven and a half, eight feet wide. Well, put the net on the other side. Uh, there's probably not any more fish here than here. You know what I mean? That's the, uh, you with me? So they put the net on the other side. And all of a sudden, they get, uh, by the way, I think it's fun that they said there's 153. How did that happen? You think, ah, oh, that's how many fish we got, Jesus. 153. That's cool. I like that. Thought. Anyway. The, the, net, the net's on the other side. They pull up this great fish. And then, then John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. What's Peter do? He jumps in the boat. And he jumps out of the boat about 100 yards and swims to the Messiah. It's interesting when they bring the boat in. He's already got the fire cooked. He's already got fish on the fire. How'd that happen? <laughs> you know, he's ready to feed his men. All right? And then he goes into Peter and he says, Peter, goes into a little discourse and he says, Peter, because he denied him three times, he's going to reinstate Peter. And this is the neat thing about God. No matter what your feelings are, no matter what you've done in your life, when you truly repent and surrender, he's, reading, he's bringing you back. He's bringing you back into that intimacy with him. Because sin, sin won't change our position, but sin will change the relationship. See, I'm married to Brenda, but if she and I get in a fight, it, it, our relationships change for a little bit. You might know what that's about. <laughs> All the guys are keeping their hands down. Okay. You know, I get that. You know, but the position is I'm married relationally. I messed up. All right. See, sin will mess up the relationship with Christ and you won't experience what you were destined and created for. So he reinstates Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes. Peter, do you love me? And, and, and we can go with agape and phileos. But what I want you to get... Three times he's, he gave Peter the chance to say, Lord, I love you. And then this is what he says to Peter. He says, Peter, the day is coming when people are going to take you places you don't want to go. Talking about the death that he was going to sacrifice for his Messiah. So back here, Peter could not. He denied his Christ. Up here, he is saying, 
I am a follower of Christ and no matter what it takes. And we know that he went to Jerusalem several years later and we know that he was crucified upside down and and that was a personal favor to him because he said, I do not want to be crucified in the same way my Messiah was crucified. Would you please crucify me upside down? And then, and then we see the book of Acts. I hope you are blessed. This is what I want you to get. The word of God. The word of God. It's alive. It's active. If you read it, meditate on it, pray through it. Let the word come alive in you. Let the, the word of God, this is so, I, somebody told me this week, each chapter is layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And baseball, I think it was Pastor Phil who showed this. Based on where you're at at any, any given time in your spiritual journey, is, is that, that, will come, that will be unfolded in your life. For instance, I've, I heard somebody, are you glad to be done with John? No. I want to start it all over again. And I'm, at the end of Acts, I'm going to say, no, let's do it again. Let's do it again. I want to see all the hidden mysteries and the adventures that the Holy Spirit has. Please, please stand up. Please, saints of God, please read your Bible. Please read the Word of God. Please read Acts with us. Learn about that New Testament church, the beginning of that church, and ask yourself the hard questions because you're going to see a lot of weird stuff. And you're going to say, wow, can I experience that? Ask yourself the questions and read. And, we, and when you read through it, just kind of, kind of look at that and say, wow, that's really cool. Highlight it, underline it, make a note. But love God's word because he's going to use this word. He's going to use this word. The spirit is going to use this word to create the life of Jesus Christ in you and through you. Would you pray with me? God, we submit our lives to you. We surrender our lives to you. We ask that you bring the word alive in us. And and I know we're going fast and we could take one chapter and spend months on it. But God, I just pray that each person here will just open up the word and read through Acts chapter 1 today and Acts chapter 2 tomorrow and discover the beauty of your word and discover the life that they can have by your spirit. Now, Lord, just want to lead us in a prayer of repentance. Now, Lord, there's any hidden sin in our life, any secret sin in our life, we repent from that. Now, whatever that is, just in your heart, just let it go. If there's any deception in our life, we repent from that, God. If there's an unloving spirit in us, we repent from that. If we've been greedy and selfish, we've had anger and hatred towards anyone, we repent of that. We let go of that. God, we want you to create in us the full measure of the life of Jesus.